So today, we are going to continue uh, our series, God Never Said That. And uh, for the last couple of weeks, Pastor Jamie has been talking about uh, some myths that we have about uh, our God and faith. Uh, one of those is uh, the myth that God wants you to be happy. Um, God never said that. Uh, he wants to fill your life with joy and peace and purpose. But that is different than God wants me to be happy. Um, God's really not all that concerned about our happiness. Uh, he is more concerned with our obedience uh, and that we live a life uh, of meaning. Um, second week, Pastor Jamie talked about God won't give you more than you can handle. Uh, God never said that. That is not true. God all the time gives us more than we can handle. Um, but he promises that as we walk through that, that he walks through it with us and he gives us the grace uh, to, to weather those storms. And next week, we're going to be tackling um, the, the myth that it doesn't matter what you believe. And uh, I want to encourage you, next week uh, would be a great Sunday to, if you've got someone who's kind of maybe close to uh, exploring faith in Christ, next Sunday is going to be a great Sunday to invite someone to come and hear uh, what God has to say about what we believe. Um, so I really want you to, to pray about that. Who could you be bringing with you to church next weekend um, for the wrap-up of our God Never Said That series? Um, so before we jump in this morning, um, I want to ask you to do something. Um, we're going to talk today about the myth that says it doesn't matter what you do um, because uh, I think it's pretty important for us to tackle this. So I'd like you to look to the person on your left, give them a good close look. If there's not anyone immediately near you, look across to a table. Find someone to your left. Now I want you to turn to your right. Look and see if you can find somebody on your right. Um, and so now what I want you to do is I want you to point to the person in the room that you think is the biggest sinner. Go. Point. Right. <laughs> right, right. Um, even my kids are pointing. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, our, our culture um, says that, uh, well, Scripture says that there is this thing called the unpardonable sin. That there is, there is a sin, it's kind of uh, one of those topics in Scripture uh, when we think about what, whatever that unpardonable sin is. But there is, uh, Scripture refers to a sin that we can commit uh, against the Holy Spirit that is unforgivable. Uh, what's interesting is that in our culture, there's also another unpardonable sin. Um, and that unpardonable sin is to call someone a sinner. That if you point your fingers at someone and tell them that what they're doing is wrong, our society says you can't do that. Because we have come to a place where now anyone can do whatever they want, and the rally cry of our society is, don't judge me. Because I can do what I want, and as long as what I do doesn't hurt anyone else, I, I should be able to do whatever I want. And it doesn't matter what I do. In, in Jesus' time, the, the number one issue, if you look through the, the things that Jesus talked about, the number one issue seems to be justice. That Jesus was constantly talking about things that were broken or unfair 
or, or out of balance, and he was constantly talking about bringing justice to those situations. I think right now the, the situations that we deal with right now are not injustices. I think for us the buzzword, the cry of our culture is tolerance. Um, and people want tolerance. People want, and, and if you are intolerant of their view or their position, then you are hateful and you are bigoted. The Bible has this thing in it that it refers to over and over and over and over again. It's got this tiny little word with huge consequence. It's the word sin. And our culture hates that word. We don't like to talk about it. We don't like to think about it. And so we take those words that the Bible calls sin, things like pornography, things like adultery, things like fornication, those, those things, and, and, and we don't like those because those sound like really bad things. And so we call porn adult entertainment, right? It's not bad. It's, it's adult entertainment. We, we don't like adultery. Adultery has got such a negative connotation to it. We'll just call it an affair. You know, it kind of sounds like it's a party. It's an affair. It's not that bad. Or, or what we would call premarital sex, sex outside of the, the context of marriage and, and, and God's blessing. We, we just call that fooling around. It's, it's not that bad. We're just fooling around. Second Timothy 4.3, Paul says to Timothy, For a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. Sin is real. It is, it is all around us. And it has incredible, serious earthly consequences. And in addition to the earthly consequences of sin, there are eternal consequences to our sin. So this morning we're going to look at three cultural misbeliefs about sin. The first one is this. I'm not a bad person. Right? When you talk to people, maybe people at work or in your, in your family or in your neighborhood, and, and, and we talk to people and, and you ask them, you know, do you consider yourself a bad person? What will people mostly say? They'll say, no, I'm not a bad person, right? I've never, you know, I've never murdered anyone. I've never, uh, you know, cheated on my taxes often. Um, I've never, you know, I've never stolen anything big. Um, you know, I'm not a bad person. The problem with that is that... Uh, 1 John 1.8 says that if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So the problem that we have when we think about ourselves is we compare ourselves to other people. And so when I compare myself to Rob McRonald, I look pretty good. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. He pointed at me when I said who's the biggest sinner in the room, so I'm just returning the favor. When we compare ourselves to other people, we can come out feeling pretty good about ourselves or pretty terrible about ourselves, can't we? We look at somebody and we say, wow, man, look at how much money they have. Look how much success they have. Look at what ama- how amazing their family is. And then I look at my family and I'm like, oh, 
you know, compared to them, I'm not doing so good. Or on the flip side of that, we look at other people and we say, well, at least I'm not that guy. Right? Look at his family. Look at his finances. Look at his children. At least I'm doing better than that. The problem with that thinking is that God does not ask us or require us to compare ourselves to each other. He requires us to compare ourselves to him. And he is perfect. And he is holy. And he is just. And no matter how good we think we are, we don't even come close to comparing to him. Ever. In anything. And so we have a really big problem. Ray Comfort is an evangelist, and, and he goes around uh, and, and talks to people on the streets, and he, he asks people questions. And so he, he'll go up to someone and he'll ask them, um, so let me ask you a question. Have you ever lied? And, and when he asks them this question about are you a good person or, or a bad person, and, and so he'll ask, have you ever told a lie? I'm going to ask the same question. Is anyone here willing to admit and raise your hand to say, yes, I have at some point in my life told a lie? And my hand is up. Okay? And then he'll say, let me ask you another question. Have you ever taken anything that didn't belong to you? Anyone willing to say, taken something that didn't belong to you? Okay? It's a little bit tougher questions coming. Buckle up. Have you ever looked at a person that you are not married to with a, a lustful thought in your mind towards that person? Anyone willing to say, yeah, done that. So what Ray then will say to them, yeah, Ray, my wife is sitting right here. I'm not raising my hand. Um, what Ray would say to them, well, the, the Bible says then that you are a liar and a thief and an adulterer because you have, you have lied, you have stolen, and, and Jesus said that even if you look at someone with a lustful intent in your heart, it's the same thing as actually committing Adultery. Ouch. Romans 3.10 says, There is no one righteous, not even one. Until we see ourselves as sinners, we won't see our need for a Savior. It's important. And, and again, uh, again, here in, in the context of church, this may sound like a really exciting and woohoo kind of a message, but it's important for us to get this, to understand this. So the first myth is, you know, I'm not a bad person. Well, no, you're not a bad person compared to someone else, but we're not comparing ourselves to each other. We are comparing ourselves to God. Second misunderstanding about sin is that all sin is the same, right? We've heard that said. You know, who are you to judge me? What I'm doing isn't any worse. Sin is sin, right? And so there are people who point fingers at, at those of us in the church and say, you're pointing your finger at my sin, but I look inside your church doors and I see people who are gluttons and I see people who are hypocrites and I see people who are liars and, and sin is sin. You're just as guilty as I am. That's not what God says. God never said that. The Bible does not teach that all sin is the same. It does teach that unforgiven sin will lead you to eternal separation from God, eternal death. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God 
is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Unforgiven sin will separate you from God. But the Bible is pretty clear that, that there, are, there are sins that are worse than others. Now, I, I heard a story uh, about a, a pastor um, who was driving down the road, and this guy cut him off. And so in his righteous and holy indignation, he gunned his car and came up alongside the guy so that he could wave at him and instruct him in the ways of proper etiquette and driving while he honked and waved at this guy like, slow down. And so as he waved at this gentleman that he didn't recognize, this gentleman in the other car also identified the pastor and and gave him a universal gesture that said, you are number one. And so now the pastor is mad. And so he stomps on his brakes and zooms in behind the guy because now he's going to follow this guy. And as he hits the brakes and pulls in behind this guy's car, he looks ahead and on the bumper of this guy's car is a bumper sticker from his church. He had gotten flipped off by a member of his own congregation. And now he's got to go to church on Sunday and see this guy. Right? Awesome. Please, if you use the universal signal for you are number one, do not put a LifeQuest magnet on your car. would appreciate that. But if he had pulled up beside this guy and waved his universal, hey, slow down, you're driving like an idiot, and the guy had reached into his glove box and pulled out a gun and shot the pastor, that would be really bad, right? Now, is, did his universal uh, indication that his pastor was number one, was that a good choice to make? As a follower of Christ, is that something that we should be doing? No. So in that context, flipping his pastor off as he road raged on him, not giving permission uh, to road rage on, on people, was a sin. But his sin was not as bad as if he had pulled out a gun and shot his pastor. Here's, here's where I want to take this. We all live our lives with consequences to our choices. We, we don't like that. We don't like to, uh, to recognize that. But there are consequences to our choices. And sometimes the consequences of those choices happen right here and now on this earth. You break a law and you will suffer the consequences of that. There are things that we do in life that Scripture in multitudes of places says that if you are obedient to God's Word, if you will follow God's commands, that you will receive reward in eternity. It also says that, that if, we, if we do nothing with our faith, that there are consequences to that. And there are levels of reward. It also says in Scripture that there are consequences to our sin. And it even indicates that there are levels of severity of our punishment in hell and the, the afterlife. Um, now, again, um, if you shoplift a $6 pair of running shorts, the consequences of that will not be anywhere near the consequences of if you drive drunk and kill someone. But both are wrong. But there is a severity in the level of consequence to those. If, if we had uh, a youth leader who worked here at LifeQuest who was a glutton 
um, we would probably not remove them from leadership in our youth ministry. Now, if that same youth leader smoked pot with one of our kids, there would be pretty serious consequences. We, our church is not in Colorado um, where that would be okay, um, but it's not okay, um, which is terrifying um, that we're, we're there as a, as a country. Um, look at what it says. Luke chapter 20, verse 47 says, The Pharisees devour widows' houses and for show make lengthy prayers. These men will be punished most severely. John said, John 19, 11, Jesus is saying this to Pilate. He says, therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. Look at what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18. He says, run from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Now, in other places, the Scripture says that if there is sin, that you are to resist it, that you are to withstand it, that you are to avoid it, you are not to do it. Don't do this, don't do this. Paul says this sin, sexual immorality, is so bad, don't even try to resist it. Run, Forrest, run. Stay as far away from it as you possibly can because it will destroy your own body. We say it doesn't matter what I do. As long as what I do doesn't hurt someone else, it's okay. No, it matters what we do. Sin has consequences. You know, and, and in that whole don't judge me man thing that we live in, in in our 21st century culture, it's interesting. The Bible does say, judge not lest you be judged, right? It says that. The context of that verse and that teaching is, is one where we have no right to look at someone outside of Christ, outside of the church, and judge them if they are not a follower of Christ. Absolutely, we should not judge people who are not followers of Christ. We can't look at their life as an as a unbeliever and say, that what you're doing is wrong. That's, not our, that's above our pay grade. That's God's job to judge that sin. But Scripture is very clear that inside the house of faith, inside the church, there are multiple times where we are to judge and make sure that what people are doing are, are lining up with God's Word. Uh, in, in Scripture, it's, it, in, in, um, in 1 Corinthians uh, or Second Corinthians, Paul's talking about judging and testing the spirits, judging and testing the spirit of a prophet. If someone brings a prophecy, that we're to judge that, we're to test it, to make sure that what they're saying is really what God is saying. In Acts, the Bereans, when they heard the message of the gospel, they didn't just take it in. They said, you know what, we're going to make sure that this is what the Bible actually says. And they took what the disciples and the apostles were teaching, and they matched it against the Old Testament, and they said, Okay, this lines up. They judged what they taught. Paul talks about a believer in, in one of the New Testament cities in their community that was possibly in a position of leadership who was completely off the reservation in, in sin and completely unrepentant about it, had been confronted about it, had been talked to about it, and refused to change his behavior patterns of, of sin. And Paul says to the church, 
that you are to set him out of your church and turn him over to Satan. Ouch. It matters what we do. The choices that we make, the, the things that we do, it matters. We may think that we're not a bad person or that our sin is not as bad as someone else's sin. Third one is this. Third misconception. Since I've already done it, I might as well just keep on doing it. Right? I've already blown it. I've already lost my virginity. I've already, uh, you know, I've, I'm, I've already done drugs. I've already cheated. I've already looked at porn. I might as well just continue doing it because I can't can't stop myself. Look at what Paul says in Romans chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. Should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Verse 2, of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? This is something that, that I think that hit me as as, as I was preparing for the message today, there are a lot of people who would consider themselves spiritually mature. They have attended church for a long time. And, and they, you know, I've been to church a long time. I've grown up in church. I know a lot about Scripture. I know a lot about God's Word. I know a lot about Jesus. I know a lot about church. But spiritual maturity is not about how much we know Spiritual maturity is about how much we obey. There are a lot of Christians who are educated well beyond their level of obedience. Did you catch that? That we know a lot. You know, the most miserable people in the world are not unbelievers. They're not non-Christians. I believe the most miserable people in the world are Christians who choose to stay trapped in the bondage of sin. They've been given this amazing gift. They've been given the gift of freedom and a relationship with the God of the universe, and they still allow sin to keep strongholds in their lives. Brian Regan talks about uh, having a bird as a pet. I'm not trying to be negative if you're a bird pet owner. But he talks about how, you know, he's got a bird. You get a bird as a pet, and then you take that bird and you stick it in a cage. And the bird has the voice in his routine. And he talks about, hey, I don't know, but I've been blessed with the gift of flight. you got me locked in this cage. You know, I've been reading the newspaper. You know, there's a couple of typos in here. Don't worry, I corrected them. And, and he's, you know, I, but I think that sometimes as Christians... We are like that bird in a cage. We've been blessed with the gift of, of eternal life and freedom in Christ, and we choose to stay trapped in a cage. Maybe you don't choose. Maybe you feel like you, you can't get free from whatever it is that you're stuck with. But I want you to understand that Jesus can set you free this morning. He wants to open the door to that cage whether you've never invited Christ into your heart before or, or you, you have a relationship with Christ but you feel stuck in a, in a sinful behavior pattern, He wants to set you free. Sin is one of those things that is progressive. 
it gets worse and worse and worse. You need more of it and more of it and more of it until it completely overtakes you. I, I remember in Bible college, um, there was, uh, back when I was in school, we're back in the, the days of all the assemblies of God, major crises. We had the Jim Baker fallout, and we had the um, Jimmy Swaggart fallout, and we had all of these big-named evangelists completely blowing it morally, um, and, and some of them going to jail as a consequence for those things. Um, but I remember uh, Jimmy Swaggart was a, a big southern gospel evangelist, traveled all over the country, um, had his own TV show, televangelist, um, was part of the Assemblies of God, and he, um, someone um, had a, a, a word for him, a prophetic word, that there was uh, a serpent that was weaving its way into his life, but it was small, it was manageable. If you would deal with this problem, Jimmy had a problem with prostitutes and would, in every city he was with, uh, would solicit prostitutes and, and was eventually found out and lost everything. Um, and was confronted and refused to deal with it. And, and then later in life, he, when confronted again after he had lost everything, went to the, the president of my Bible college and said, you know, you said to me then, that it was small and manageable. And if I had obeyed, he said, because now that snake is so big, I can't, even, I can't even put my arms around it. It's so massive in my life. And it destroyed his ministry. Our sin hurts God. Our sin hurts people. Our sin hurts us. It kills our intimacy. It dulls God's voice. It hardens our hearts so that we can't hear him speak anymore. And it will take you farther than you want to go and make you pay far more than you are willing to pay if you are unwilling to deal with it and cut the head off of that snake now while it's small. Here's the hope. Jesus is the friend of sinners. He loves you. He loves us. And in 1 Corinthians 10.13, it says, And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. And when you are tempted, He will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. He doesn't promise that we won't be tempted, but He promises that when we are tempted, that there is always a way out. There's always a way. It's Jesus. And here's how we do it. Here's how we get out of the cage. 1 John 1, verses 8 and 9, I read it earlier, that, that verse that says, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But, verse 9, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. I'd like to ask you to close your eyes. As we close, Father, I pray that you would help us to grab a hold of this truth that it absolutely matters what we do. Whether the area of sin in our lives that we struggle with is lying or pornography or, or drugs and alcohol 
or unfaithfulness or, or whatever, gluttony, whatever that is that, that we are struggling with, Lord, we thank You that You want to set us free. Lord, I pray that if there are any here this morning who have the courage to say, I, I want to be free. I don't want to stay stuck in a cage anymore. You would give them the courage to lift up their hand and say, Jesus, that's me. I don't want to stay stuck in a cage anymore. I want to live free from sin. Yeah, awesome. Thanks, you can put your hand down. Yeah, awesome. Anybody else? I want to be free. I don't want to be stuck in this cage anymore. Father, I thank you for those that had the courage to say, Jesus, I, I need you. I pray, God, that you would help each and every one of us to every single day confess with our mouth and ask for your forgiveness. There would be, there would be no unconfessed sin in our lives. We would walk with you every day in, in relationship. In Jesus' name. Before we go, we got just just a few minutes. Um, for the last eight years, we have ended almost every worship experience that we've had at LifeQuest saying the same thing. We say, be careful what you watch. Be careful what you listen to. Be careful what you talk about. And, and that's a good thing. Um, it was something that I picked up when we were youth pastors in Ohio and our pastor said that at the close of every service. And I'm like, that's a cool thing to do. I want to do that. Someday when I'm in, I'm the guy, that's what we're going to do at our church. Um, and, and we've done that. But this past two weeks on vacation, um, the Lord convicted me. Um, as much as I love uh, Pastor Dave and our, and our church in Ohio and our, our family and friends in, in Christ there, um, I think some of that... Some of the motivation behind that was a motivation of fear and a motivation of control to try to get people to behave. And I think sometimes we get this idea that being a Christian is about not doing stupid things before we die that keep us from getting into heaven. And so if we can just modify our behavior and be good, then when Jesus comes, we'll be okay kind of like a spiritual Santa Claus, like, I see what you're doing. Be careful what you watch. Be careful what you listen to. Be careful what you talk about. And I don't want to be that kind of guy. So we're going to start a new tradition. And I'd like to invite you to stand. And this is how we're going to close worship experiences at LifeQuest from now on. I'd invite you, if you're comfortable doing this, to close your eyes. Before you close your eyes, so you can see what I'm doing. And just... Put your hands out like this in a, in a posture to receive. If you want to close your eyes, you can. If you don't want to, you don't have to. But I want to read Numbers chapter 6. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron and his sons to bless the people of Israel with this special blessing. May the Lord bless you. And protect you. May the Lord smile upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord show you his favor and give you his peace. Whenever Aaron and his sons bless the people of Israel in my name, I myself, God, 
will bless them. God, I ask you to bless these people, these amazing people that you have brought together in our faith family here at LifeQuest. I pray that you would bless them with your favor. I pray that you would bless them with the strength to stand firm in their faith, that they would not be trapped like birds in a cage to sin, but they would walk in your freedom and your blessing. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Have an awesome week.